0: Hey, well, again, welcome to Rockbridge, wherever you've gathered, maybe in Hickson, Calhoun, Ringo, Dalton, or Chatsworth, thank you for joining us for this brand new series called God of the Underdogs. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. Before we get into our series, I want to ask you to do something that everybody can participate, whether you're watching us in video or online or whatever. But I just want to ask, because this is Veterans Day weekend coming up, if you are a, a veteran of one of our armed services, if you don't mind standing for about three seconds, and uh, we just want to honor you, recognize you, thank you for uh, your service, thank you for uh, being uh, uh, serving our country. So thank you. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. As a, as a fellow veteran, I say thanks. I have, a bro- I have a brother who's still active and serving in the Army, so always special to be able to pause in our country and uh, say thank you to the men and women who have worn the uniform and uh, helped uh, protect and preserve the democracy that gives us that right to gather here freely and, uh, and worship our King and our Savior. So we are starting this new series called God of the Underdogs, and I don't know about you, but there is something about an underdog and an underdog story that kind of feels like uh, awesome and feels like American or something. So I want to just kind of get our engines revved up around that and show you uh, this video. My daddy left us. I was only six months older than you are now. I don't remember him. Jackie Robinson. A black man in white baseball. Your enemy will be out in force, but you cannot meet him on his own low ground. After high school, I'm going to play football at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is for rich kids, smart kids, great athletes. It's not for us. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to go to school here. And ever since I was a kid, everybody said it couldn't be done. I always listened to them, believed what they said. Rocky, do you believe that America is the land of opportunity? Yeah. Apollo Creed does. And he's going to prove it to the whole world by giving an unknown a shot at the title. I mean, you who know, am I kidding? I even in the guy's league. Wish me luck. I'm going to need it. <laughs> So I like have goosebumps, I'm ready to like cover kickoff, hit a fastball or something, you know. I don't know, I just love those stories and, and love just hearing that. And there's something about an underdog, it's like a metaphor that transcends America, culture, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. That there's something I think in all of us, and, and probably it's because we've all been the underdog or feel like the underdog at some time, whether it's like work or your career, or maybe with God, it's like, I just don't measure up. Maybe you come to church and you're kind of nervous even to be in church. But there's something in us that kind of resonates with that. Like we, we, we want sometimes the underdog to win and, and the little guy to become the big guy and for those things to happen. And so what we're going to talk about is really the fact that the Bible is a story About God using getting the attention of underdogs, and what's going to be like really mind blowing is that's been God's plan all along, and we'll explain that. But let me give you a kind of a working definition today uh, of an underdog. Okay, and the working definition is this: an underdog is someone with a good excuse to have low expectations. You know, we're the unranked team playing the number one team in the country. We're short. And we're non athletic, but we got to go do it anyway. We don't have money. We don't know the right people. We're not from that kind of family, if you know what I mean. We lack the resume, the pedigree. We, we don't have enough of X or enough of Y or enough of Z. We've got a past. You know, if God, you know, if, if, if me and God, I think I've, I've sinned too much, I, I'm, I've done too many bad things for God to even look my way or care about me. And, and the underdog has some kind of an excuse for Jackie Robinson. It's the fact that he was an African-American in a time when African-Americans couldn't play professional sports. For, for Rudy, it was his size and slowness and speed, and then to play at Notre Dame, oh my goodness. And for Rocky, the unknown fighter taking on the champ of the world. And all those stories were like, yeah, you know. And so all of that stuff combined, we have an excuse to have a low expectation. We have an excuse of why we can't do it, we won't do it, it'll never happen for me, my dream can't come true, God will never use me, God can't love me, I'll never because of, and you just fill in the blank with your particular excuse. Now, when you realize or you you find an area in your life where you're an underdog, you kind of can deny it, you can hide it. We love the stories where the underdog seemingly overcame it. But what I want us to understand today is this. In some area of your life, or one season of your life, or in a certain facet of your life, and and we're going to broaden this as we talk, every one of us is an underdog. And I I think that's why we resonate, we like the underdog story, because we kind of know what it feels like to walk into class and be the only one. We kind of know what it's like to step up to the plate and be asked to hit the ball that nobody knows, that we're not sure we can hit. So all of, we, we, you know, we were the last one picked at kickball at recess in fourth grade. We, we know what it feels like. We know, God, they, they're going to get the job because they have the better or they know the right people. So everyone is an underdog. And instead of using that maybe as an excuse or trying to hide it or cover it up or not admit it, We're going to see where we really need to embrace our status as an underdog. Some of you may not even know you're an underdog. Some of us, many of us know we are an underdog. But we're going to talk about the God of the underdog. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn them on or open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And what we're going to do today in part one is just get our brains around the underdog concept and how it fits into the plan of God and the story of God. And some of you are not Christ followers because you see yourself as an underdog when it comes to God and church and religion and spirituality. Some of you have not realized your God-given potential and God's plan for your life because you see yourself as an underdog and that's why God would never or you could never Some of you are sitting in a plateau. You feel stuck in a rut. You've you've slowed down. You're complacent. You're a pew sitter because you see yourself as an underdog. Some of you look yourself in the mirror and find five different reasons why God cannot, or would not, or is not. I'm going to just ask you to embrace that by the authority of the Word of God. And so today we'll get ourselves uh, uh, we'll get ourselves understanding this principle. And then here's where we're going to go for the next several weeks. We're going to dissect the story of the Rudys and the Jackie Robinsons and the Rockies of the Bible. And it's full of them. And we're going to see those principles and embrace those principles and see the power and the purpose of God come alive or get reignited in our own lives. Would you join with me as we pray together? God, we're going to open your word right now. Find our minds open to your spirit, to your revelation. God, for the person that's not even sure you exist or not even sure they can trust the Bible, I pray, God, you would just speak to them in ways that only you can. But God, we all just, in some ways, just identify with this concept of the underdog. Help us to see how this principle is a kingdom principle, a Jesus principle, a Bible principle, and how we can apply it to our lives. To the glory of your name, that name in which we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we start reading verse 26. (coughs) Consider your calling, and this word calling here means the call of God, the invitation of God to become a believer, to become a Christ follower, to become a Christian, to be adopted as a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High. So that's what that's referring to. So consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective. Literally, that would say according to the flesh, and I'll define that in a few minutes. So not many are wise from a human perspective. Not many are powerful. Not many of noble birth. Now, before we go on, just look at what the the author Paul has done. The people who are Christ followers, not really wise, not really powerful, and you really weren't born in the right family. I mean, this is not like an ego boost, self-help message, is it not? This is not, hey, you better believe in yourself. So I want to make myself clear. This series is not Dr. Phil. This series is not, you know, you can do it. This series is God is speaking to us. God is speaking to us. And through our underdog status. Because he's saying, the people in the family of God, the world says, not really wise not really powerful, and not born into the right family or doesn't know the right people. Now, what do we mean by human perspective? The human perspective literally in this translation means this. We'll go to the next slide, please. The human perspective means the flesh. And your flesh is that part of you that wants to do stuff without or apart from or around God. Your flesh is that part of you that says, I'll do it my way uh, in my time, and my power, and in my independence. Your flesh is that part of you that comes out when you're about two years old and your parents are like, oh my gosh, what happened to my sweet baby? Right? That's your flesh. Your flesh is this desire for self-sufficiency, the desire to be independent, the desire to do it on our own by because of your pedigree or worldly power, your possessions, your position, your performance, all of those things co- comprise to make up our flesh. And so God says, look, according to these things, these worldly things, these fleshly things, not many people in the kingdom of God have the right resume, if you will. It's like God would say to like Bill Gates, don't apply. He doesn't really say that, but you, you get my drift. I mean, the people that you and I think of when we think of successful and famous and worldly, the people on the cover of People magazine or the you know, man or woman of the person of the year award, all of those things, and the people we're tending to, you know, we want to live vicariously through on the TV set or on social media. God is saying, look, from a human perspective, I'm looking at it completely differently Now, what's radical about that is it kind of goes contrary to how you and I sort of arrange our lives. Because we sort of arrange our lives to want to be independent. We arrange our lives to want to have control. We arrange our lives to not really need anyone. We really don't even want to need God. The only time we really want to need God is when somebody has cancer or is about to die. So we sort of arrange our lives to actually be self-sufficient. And God is saying... I'm not really into self-sufficiency. So, so think about this. Here, here's kind of a, a path. We, you and I pursue self-sufficiency from about the age two forward. We'll come up short at some point. And you realize that, right? This is the underdog part. This is when We realize, I don't have what it takes to be Jackie Robinson. I don't have what it takes to be Rudy and make the Notre Dame football team. I don't have what it takes to be the prize fighter that beats the champ. So we come up short, and, and that becomes our excuse this is why I, I can't go further. This is why I can't get promoted. I can't get picked. I, I, I can't be influential. I can't realize my dream. I can't realize my, my potential. So that's kind of our path and our, and our worldly status and our worldly perspective. And then lo and behold, you, you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians one twenty six, And here's what God has just said. Please do not miss me. Miss what I'm saying. Being an underdog is actually a condition for life as a Christ follower. Let me say it a couple other ways so we understand it here in the Bible Belt. You can't go to heaven unless you realize you are an underdog. You spend, I spend our entire lives, we spend money, we spend energy trying not to be an underdog. And God in His Word has said only underdogs get called. Only underdogs have a ticket to eternal life with God. And that's like radical, is it not? Because we make decisions every single day to try to not be an underdog. And here God is saying, the people who get called into, invited into the forever family of God to be a Christ follower or a Christian or to be saved, whatever word you want to attach to that, the world looks at them and says, underdog. Now why is that? Why is God's way so opposite of the world's way. I'm going to say it in a phrase or a sentence and then I'm going to explain this. Because God hates self sufficiency. <coughs> we love it or try to, uh, we love to try to pursue it. God hates it. But isn't what Adam and Eve did the pursuit of self sufficiency? You, Satan said, will be like who? God, meaning you won't need God. Now, let me explain why God hates self-sufficiency. Go back, please. God hates self-sufficiency because if he loved self-sufficiency, he would hate us. So, the hate is a product of God's love for us. So, let me explain it this way. Can a, and you don't have to answer this out loud because it's going to seem like we went to kindergarten, but, but hold on for the self sake of explanation, okay? Can a fish live out of water. The answer is no. Now, could could a fish, you know, look up from the surface and look out at land and say, "I want to live out there and jump out and get on the on the shore"? Yeah, and they'd live for a little bit, and then they would die. As a fish was created by God to live in water, you and I were created by God to live in His presence and in dependence upon him. And our sin is the same as the fish being stupid enough to think it could live out of water. Our sin is, I can live apart from God. And people who live apart from God die. And that's the story of evil. That's the story of of our brokenness. That's the story of our pain. I was made for God, but I don't really need God Out of water apart from God, I'll do it my way. And we have a few fun flops on the shore and then we start grasping for breath and we die. God loves you. So if I love my fish and my little boy says, hey, I want to take the fish out for a walk, I have to have a conversation. That's not the right way to love your fishy. Okay? God created you for himself. God created you for his presence. God created you for forever fellowship with him. God hates it when you say, I'll do it my way. So as a product of his love, God cannot love our attempts to do life apart from him. And the fact that we would get to a place where we would admit God I'm an underdog means we're really a lot closer to God than we think. So God came up or God has a whole system of life of salvation of redemption that totally rebukes self-sufficiency, sufficiency and reestablishes our need to find ourselves, our need to have sufficiency in and only in a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's where Paul goes next in verse 27 when he says instead. So instead of what? Instead of the world's way. Instead of the worldly, fleshly perspective. Instead of human wisdom, noble birth, the pedigree, all those kinds of things. So instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. The wise, according to the world, don't need God. So he's going to shame the world by taking people overlooked, the underdogs, using them, choosing them, blessing them, advancing his kingdom in and through them. And God has chosen what is weak in the world, the underdog, to shame the strong who think they're so strong. I've got enough money, enough good looks, enough athleticism, enough good grades. I don't need God. God's like, no, no, no. I've chosen the one who's weak in the world, the underdog, to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. And listen, this is where you this is where the Bible comes alive in your heart. Because there has been a time in your life or a season in your life where you have felt that word. Somebody may have told you that word. <coughs> There's been a time and a season in your life when you have felt this. And this is why we like the Jackie Robinson story. Because the world said, at that time, the world said, because you're black, you're insignificant. Because you're black, we despise you. There was a time, and this is why we like Rudy, where the, the, the Notre Dame athletic coaching staff said, football staff, you're insignificant because you're too short, too weak, too slow. We felt that. You might have felt it in your job, in your marriage, as a parent. You've felt that. You've walked. Some of you, you walked into church because somebody invited you, and you're like... Last time I walked in the church, this is how I was made to feel. Or, because I did X, Y, and Z, this is how I feel in church. And look what the Bible has just said to all of us then. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something in the world. So that, now why does God do that? No one can boast in His presence. Where did I say God wants you? Just like God wants the fish in the water, He wants men and women, underdogs, in His presence. But nobody will be able to stand in the presence of God and say, God, I did it all by myself. Because we didn't. Our own biology convicts us. You can't do it by yourself. Who made the air you just breathed? Who created the world just so it can support life? I mean, the axis of the earth, the angle, the distance from the sun, the percentages of the gas in the atmosphere. Come on! Our own creation, our own biology screams. You can't do it apart from your Creator. Creator. And then, when we sinned and said, Well, we'll live apart from our Creator, thanks for creating us by the whole plan of salvation is you can't save yourself. So, embrace your underdog status. So, when you bump into an excuse, I'm not good looking enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't have the right resume. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know the right people, I don't know have the right degree, whatever your excuse is, realize this your excuse got the excuse are not designed to set the expectations for your life, but rather increase your dependence. See some of you are looking at that excuse and it's just that's the bar in your life. and you just stop and nothing else you can, I can't go, I can't move forward. That, the, the excuse is not meant to become your, the bar or the expectation. The excuse is meant by God to drive you to Him, to increase your dependence. I'm not wise enough. God is. I'm not good enough. God is. I'm not smart enough. God is. I can't do this apart from me. That's right. You weren't ex- created to exist apart from God, just like a fish was not created to exist apart from water. So what did God do when we when we really realize how God embraces and uses and calls us all underdogs and wants us to embrace it, not run from it, not hide from it, not even try to overcome it. What did God do? Verse 30. But it is from him. God, here's his plan that you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has something you and I need. Jesus is something you and I are not. Now, I need you to hear me what I just said. Jesus Christ has something every human needs. Jesus Christ is something every human is not. that makes us an underdog. You are in Christ Jesus, who became (coughs) God-given, not man-created, Not I did it my way, earned it myself, don't need God. But God-given wisdom for us. Remember, God's wisdom shames the world's wisdom. Our, what did Jesus Christ become for us? Our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In order that, as it is written, the one who boasts, the one who brags, must boast in the Lord. Not in himself, but in the Lord, so that when you and I brag, we're not bragging about us or our self-sufficiency. We're bragging, we're boasting, or let's even push it forward. We're worshiping God for his sufficiency that he gifted it to us. We're all an underdog, and that underdog status drives us to the top dog, Jesus Christ. So let's break this down. The first thing Paul said was righteousness. How, we, how do we be good people? Here, here's, the, here's the world's theology in a nutshell. I've got to, good people go to heaven. I've got to be good enough. Good enough. Here's what the Bible teaches. No one is good enough and apart from God. We're helpless. We're hopeless. We can't do enough good deeds to earn our way into salvation. We can't do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad stuff we've done. We have to get righteousness apart from ourselves. We have to get righteousness apart from our attempts to have enough attaboys and gold stars by our name. We cannot be good enough to live in God's presence. Impossible. that, That means you cannot think of prayer as a performance. You cannot think of coming to church as racking up brownie points with God. You cannot think of the fact that you haven't cussed in a week or two as, well, God's happier with me now. No. Your righteousness comes from who? Christ. Theologically, this is called alien righteousness. Alien, not of me. I get it. I get Jesus' righteousness. So it's important for you to realize Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. So you would recognize I am a sinner, meaning I am with sin. I cannot, I, I, I sin unintentionally. I sin intentionally. I need something. I cannot provide myself. I am an underdog in the category of righteousness, so instead of, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm not good enough, God hates me, God can never love me, my underdog status pushes me to say, Jesus, give me your righteousness. Number two, Paul talks about the word redemption. Redemption is a purchase word. In, in the Greek, it is buying something back. It is, a, it is payment. It is uh, acquiring. It is... A co- taking over a debt, something of that. So it's kind of financial in its connotation. So what this means is our sin requires a payment. Our sin in, it, it racks up debt to our account. Our sin requires something that we can't pay. When I realize I can't do something, excuse, I'm an underdog, My underdog status doesn't drive me to make an excuse. My underdog status drives me to Jesus and says, Jesus, can you pay my debt? And Jesus says, in full, boop. And that's what the cross is. So the fact that I cannot pay God back, I cannot do enough good to pay back the bad I've done, the sins I've committed, the sin nature I have, pushes me where? Not away from God, but to God. God, I'm an underdog. I need somebody besides me to pay my debt because I can't do it. And God's like, got you covered in Christ. The third word, (coughs) excuse me, that Paul used is this word sanctification, which is this process of making us more like Jesus. After we become a Christ follower There's a process called sanctify, setting us apart, where we grow in holiness. We grow in the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We grow to be more like we were created to be when we were with God and without sin, That's sanctification. So the moment you become a Christian and say, God, I need your redemption, payment. God, I need your righteousness, alien righteousness given to us. Then then God wants you to grow. God doesn't want you to stay stagnant or like you are. He wants to transform you from the inside out. But it's not your willpower. It's not you trying harder, trying harder. God, I'll do better next time. It's not you responsible. It is you realizing I can't grow apart from God. God, I need your power. I need your DNA hey, I need an infusion apart from me. I'm an underdog in the area of life change. That pushes you where? Dependence, because you can get sanctification. Where? Jesus has something you need. Jesus has something you and I are not. And you get outside fuel in Christ and by His Spirit. We're an underdog. Embrace it. Own it. Claim it. Let it push you to God. So here's what this also means. Please, I want everybody to list, lock in and listen. If your neighbors fell asleep, you know, poof, all right. God's most dominant work in your life could be just to get you to embrace your underdog status. Listen, this means that thing that you're saying, God, why did you let This into my life. Why did you let them into my life? Because God might be trying to get you to realize you're an underdog. Because see, we'll go through life and think I got it, I'm good, and then they show up, or then cancer shows up, or then the economy shows up or you tried to do it your way and you drank it or tried to drink it away and it's still there all of that could be a good good father saying little fishy get back in the water come back to father because you can't live without me so right now in your life the area you're most questioning of god and doubting of god could be god saying you're an underdog you can't without me so i want to change our depth not change i want to amend our definition of underdog excuse for low expectations no 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 an underdog is someone who looks away from their self-sufficiency and or their excuse and looks to god and in god jesus is our wisdom righteousness redemption and sanctification One of my favorite pastors, he's long ago lived, Robert Murray McShion, says this, For every look at yourself, you must take ten looks at Christ. See, I go through my day and I look at all my circumstances and this and that and this and that. and Then it's all about Matt and then I'm overwhelmed in in the world of self-sufficiency and then I realize I can't look to Christ. Look to Christ. Story in Matthew chapter 8, 23 through 27 the verses i've been really studying lately there's a storm at sea the disciples are all in this boat and they're freaking out because they're looking at the waves they look to jesus and he's asleep let me just tell you something whatever storm you're in jesus is asleep because he's got it he doesn't have any need to worry look to him not to the wave don't look at yourself look to christ so I want to pose a question. We're going to unpack this for the next several weeks, bring people with you, come back next week. Okay? Here's the question. What if our excuse became the explanation of God's work in our lives? What if the excuse that, that makes us an underdog was the entry point for God to do something big in your life? God, I'm too big of a sinner. Exactly right. That's why I'm a great savior. God, I'm not smart enough. Exactly right. I'll be your wisdom. Lean not on your own understanding. God, I can't do this. Exactly right. But I can do all things through who? Through Christ who gives me strength. What if your excuse became the entry point for God to work in your life? For the college student who's full of doubt and you're out out from underneath mama and daddy's roof and you're like, whoa, I'm not sure about this God thing. What if your doubt was actually the entry point for God to work in your life? What if the grieving person, the person who's grieving the fact that their marriage is ending or has ended, or the person who's grieving the loss of a loved one, what if your grief, which you think is now holding you back and you can't go forward without them in your life anymore, what if that was an entry point for God's power and glory and grace and strength and wisdom to show up in your life? What if it was the explanation? What if you look back years from now and said, you know, that thing that I thought was holding me back, that's what allowed God to show up in my life. So let me help you think through it. we we'll give you three categories that tend to be your, your most dominant underdog, underdog excuses. Your past, something happened to you, something was did to you, Or you did something that now feels, today, here's how you feel it, disqualifying, okay? Your performance. I'm not good at. I came up short in. I have a weakness here. Or people, difficult people who are part of your story, part of your day. They sit next to you at work. Maybe you sleep next to them at night. What if this was an entry point? That God is asking you, hey, these are things that help you convince help convince you that you're an underdog. Let these things drive you to dependence. Because let me just tell you something, this it goes back to verse twenty six. The call of God will touch the excuse of the underdog. Why do we celebrate Jackie Robinson? Because the fact that he was an African American who refused to be told he couldn't play professional baseball. That was where it showed up. Why do we admire Rudy? Because he was small. Because he was told he could not. Why why do we admire Rocky? Because he was the unknown that took on the champ. It was the fact that he was unknown that exploded, right? So the call of God is always going to touch the underdog. You can think of it in, in, in a couple other ways, okay? Your identity. Your identity is not what you did or who your parents were or what your last name is. Your primary identity is this. If you have embraced the call of the underdog, your primary identity is you have been adopted, bought, paid for by God himself in Christ. That's the most important thing about you. That's your identity. Think about prayer. You know what real prayer is? Real prayer is this. God, I cannot... But you can. That's prayer. Prayer is the prayer is the action or activity of an underdog. Hearing from God. Hearing from God. You know what it's like to hear from God? When God asks you to do something that requires you to depend upon Him. When God asks you to do something easy, I'm not sure that's God anymore. When I when God asks you to get out of the boat, take a risk, do something a little bit, woo, woo, woo. God, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Probably hearing from God. And then finally, focus and attention. This means that the dominant thing you focus your attention on is the fact that your God is sufficient. Your God is strong enough. Your God is wise enough. Your God paid it all. In Christ, He is your righteousness, He is your sanctification, and He is your redemption. So here's my question. Who is God to you right now? If He is not your Father, and if He is not in Christ Jesus, your righteousness, your goodness, if He is not in Christ Jesus, your redemption, that He paid it, not you, Him, if He is not your sanctification, that He is the one fueling the changes in your life, why not right now? Say, God, I'm an underdog. I embrace it, and it drives me to You. And I'm saying yes to you right now. If that's going on in your heart, you take out a next step card or you see somebody in our Connection Center, you get baptized and you begin to walk with God, realizing apart from God, I can do nothing, I am nothing. Thanks be to God, we're all underdogs. Let's pray together, church. (coughs) God, we thank you. The fact that we are underdogs and sometimes we don't want to admit it Well, tonight we admit it, God, because it is that underdog status that pushes us to you. May we embrace that, God, and see you come in through that underdog door, that underdog label, that underdog status, and do mighty things in us and mighty things through us. God, I love you. I thank you, God, that you call the unworthy, (coughs) you call the unqualified, and in Christ Jesus, you qualify us. And in Christ Jesus, you declare us eternally worthy to be called your sons and your daughters. We rest in that spot right now, Jesus, thankful for who you are, thankful for what you did. And it's in your name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Amen.